Welcome to the Sadler Lectures podcast. Responding to popular demand, I'm converting my philosophy videos into sound files you can listen to anywhere you can take an MP3. If you like what you hear and want to support my work, go to patreon.com sadler. I hope you enjoy this lecture. One of the features of Plato's symposium that can often be confusing for first or second or third or many time readers occurs early on and runs throughout the entire text and it's what we could call the narrative framework. This is in effect a story within a story within a story that also includes some other stories nested inside them, sort of like peeling an onion or those Russian dolls. And most of the framing is going to occur in the early part, although we're going to see this story told by Socrates about Diodema coming in towards the end. So what I want to do is just give an overview of the framing and how these different narratives, which are all really the same narrative, are nested inside of each other so that you can see exactly what's going on. And then we'll think a little bit about why Plato might be doing this. Although it's, you know, there, nobody can really say for certain precisely why he does that. Before we go into that, I do want to say that this is not a feature that's unique to the symposium, but it's most complex in that text. There are other Platonic dialogues. Think, for example, about the Phaedo or about the Theotetus, where this, you know, let me tell you a story about the conversations that happened sort of structure is there in place as well. Now you notice that I've got narrator one and then narrator two. These are two different characters and we're gonna see how they're connected together in a moment. And then I've got this large frame here, Agathon's party that narrator two is a part of. And then we have this deeper level, Diodema and the young Socrates, not the Socrates who is present as an old man. Well, he is really the same Socrates, right? Because he's telling the story, but he's not at the same age. So we also have some shifts in time that should be signaled as well. The main action of the story is happening in this party room at Agathon's around 416 BC. The story is being told somewhere in between, say, 402 to 399 BC, so we'll just say around 400 BC. It's supposed to have been written later on, so Plato is addressing an audience that would already have this as a past, this as a yet further past, and then this as a much more distant past. So, we've got this guy Apollodorus, and the story begins with Apollodorus having a conversation with a friend. Very quickly, we're going to get another frame of reference coming in with these allusions to another friend of his, Glaucon. So the friend and Apollodorus, that's the most outer core or husk of this dialogue. And that's where we're hearing the story. We could think of ourselves as being, as readers, in the place of this friend asking Apollodorus, hey, can you tell me about the time that these speeches were going on? I'd kind of like to know about that. Apollodorus says to his friend, well, it's fortunate that you're asking me about this now because just a few days ago, the, the time between these conversations is just a few days, I was talking with Glaucon, and Glaucon asked me exactly the same thing that you were inquiring about now, and I told him the story then, so I've still got it fresh in my mind. I'm going to tell you the whole thing. But Glaucon is confused. Glaucon is a bit mixed up because he thinks that all of this happened just a little while ago. It didn't happen around 400 BC. It happened in 416 BC, but, but Glaucon thinks that this is all over here. 
That's in part because he got it from another guy, Phoenix, who is an intermediary between the story and the eyewitness who's telling the story to Apollodorus, Aristodemus. So this guy, Phoenix, we don't really know much about him. He's just sort of a bit player in this. And Phoenix didn't quite get it right. He garbled things up. And so Glaucon now has a mistaken account. So Apollodorus is going to set him straight by telling the story as it happened, as he got it from the person who was there. So, you know, already we can say, well, are we getting exactly what what took place? This is not meant to be a historical account. Plato is is engaging in some literary devices here by having the story being told by somebody else and then related by somebody else to us. It's supposed to create a kind of distance. You could think of this as the once upon a time trope that we use for telling fairy tales. So let's move now from Apollodorus to this guy Aristodemus. Aristodemus is there present as an eyewitness and even as a participant to some degree in the very first parts of this this party account for the the whole sequence of speeches that are going to take place. There is one moment where he dozes off or we might say passes out. He wakes up at the end of the party. Everybody else is passed out except for Socrates, Aristophanes, and Agathon, the heavyweights, the tragic poet, the comedic poet, and Socrates, the representative of philosophy, who have managed to stay up all night long and are still hashing out an argument, which we don't see any resolution to, about the possibility of the same person being both a comic and a tragic poet. By the way, some people think that that's a a way of Plato bringing himself into the narrative because one of the things that Plato is able to do is to incorporate tragedy, comedy, and all these other genres into his own genre of the Platonic dialogue. In any case, Aristodemus is now telling the story to Apollodorus. So Apollodorus has it from Aristodemus. Apollodorus says, I also, you know, talked with Socrates to make sure that I was getting the true story. We don't know exactly what he asked him, but he has sort of the imprimatur of Socrates. Yeah, you've got it mostly right. As far as I can tell, go ahead and and now you can tell the story as he's going to do with us. Aristodemus is going to be there. He's not invited to Agathon's party. At least he didn't get the invitation. Agathon afterwards says, oh, yeah, I wanted you to come, but, you know, we weren't able to get a hold of you. But he runs into Socrates, and Socrates is on the way to Agathon's party. Why do we know that it's 416 BC, at least in the narrative framework? Because this is Agathon's first victory party after his first success in the festival of Dionysos, where the tragedies would be put on, judged, and then prizes would be awarded. He's won. So we know when that is supposed to have taken place. This time is also important because of some of the other characters for two other historical events that any audience member or any reader getting this text in Plato's time would be very conversant with. And that's the the Syracusan exhibition where Athens sort of rolled the dice and came up short. And the uh, disfiguring of these religious statues, the the disfiguring of the Hermes that Phaedrus and I think Eryximachus were thought to have participated in. Now, all of this is important because this is where in the narrative, once we've penetrated into the past, by Plato saying, let me tell you a story. Now, I got this story from this guy, and he was there. Once we've done that, 
we're here in this narrative past. This is the third level of the dialogue. What's going to happen is a whole sequence of speeches. There's a lot of interesting stuff going on. But I do want to signal what is happening as far as narrative time and this structure of unfolding a narrative within a narrative with a few of these speeches. Aristophanes, he's going to tell a way back story, which he's pretty much making up as he goes along. This is Plato's coming up with a Aristophanaic sort of myth, a comedic uh, tale being told about, you know, human beings way back in the early days being these creatures that had two heads, two sets of genitals, four arms, four legs, getting split down the middle by the gods and all the things that happened after that. So you could say there's a story within a story there. Alcibiades is also going to tell a story, and I haven't put the kind of framing here, in part because the person he's telling the story about happens to be there, and it's Socrates. Socrates is going to tell a story about himself and Diodema. Alcibiades is going to tell a story about himself and Socrates, a story that in a certain way is like a, a confessional tell-all. He's, he's admitting to having done something rather shameful, trying to seduce Socrates, trying to get Socrates to be sexually interested in, in him. It doesn't work, uh, and that's part of why he says Socrates is such a great guy. So Alcibiades is also telling a story within a story, but it's not at the level of the Diodema portion. When Socrates comes up to give his speech... He's not going to play by the rules, because oftentimes Socrates doesn't. He's not going to just give a long discourse the way everybody else does. He questions Agathon about Agathon's own speech, shows Agathon doesn't know what he's talking about. Kind of typical Socrates. Not a great dinner guest if you, if you want somebody who's going to just have everybody get along and not bring up any controversial topics. But then what Socrates does is he says, I can't really give a speech. But I can tell you about this encounter that I had when I was a young man. So now what are we doing? We're moving down to yet a further, deeper layer of the narrative. These are all historical persons. These arguably are as well. We're not sure about Diodema. Diodema may or may not have existed. She may have been a literary creation of Plato. She may have been somebody who actually did exist, and her, her name was Diodema, and did teach Socrates. She may be signaling some other person. There's various theories about this. But in any case, Socrates is now transporting us out of 416 BC, and we're way past 400 BC, into his youth, essentially, his adolescence, when he was himself learning about love from this older, wise woman who was supposed to have done all sorts of interesting things. And she tells him, or rather, she in part tells him and also engages in dialectical questioning and answering. She engages in Socratic dialogue with him about the nature of love. Where we're actually going to leave off with Socrates' own contribution is down at this level. And then it's the bursting in by Alcibiades that takes us out of this level and back into the, the room. Alcibiades shows up. It's sort of a denouement to the piece. He's, he's drunk. Uh, everybody else hasn't been drinking very hard, but Alcibiades is drunk. He's there with a bunch of other drunks. And then he tells his story, and then the whole party breaks down. Now we start to move back out into the narrative as we have it here. It leaves off not getting us up to this level. But with Aristodemus finishing up the story by saying, well, you know, after I came to, I found these three guys still locked in conversation. 
Socrates then got back up and walked out and continued on with, with his day. Socrates had this, you know, constitution that allowed him to drink as much as he wanted without being affected. So that is the narrative framework as you're approaching this text. This is something worth keeping in mind. Now, do we know why Plato actually did this? There's, there's a lot of theories. Perhaps he's doing something to make it deliberately just a literary creation, not making any assertions about this being a historical event. Perhaps what he's suggesting, other, other commentators have said, is that we can't really know what's going on in the symposium. Perhaps some of these are what we call narrators who are not giving us the entire story. We know that some things have been left out. Aristodemus says that he doesn't remember all of the speeches. These are the speeches that he, he remembers. Do we really have enough to go on to say that any of these are unreliable narrators? We don't even have enough for that. So really all we're left with in the end is this framework, which remains an open question for us. Special thanks to all of my Patreon supporters for making this podcast possible. You can find me on Twitter at Philosopher70, on YouTube at the Gregory B. Sadler channel, and on Facebook on the Gregory B. Sadler page. Once again, to support my work, go to patreon.com Sadler. Above all, keep studying these great philosophical works.